Hello everyone, this is Molly Rowan Leach and I'm your host for the ongoing free telecouncil series hosted by the Peace Alliance, Restorative Justice on the Rise. I'm so pleased to offer this archive from November 29th, 2012, featuring a powerful conversation with the Executive Director of the Longmont Community Justice Partnership, Deb Witzel. This was an extraordinary conversation and council, very interactive with incredible sharing and conversation. I hope you'll enjoy it. Please access all of our archives and the upcoming guest speaker schedule at dopeace.us and click on the restorative justice tab. Thanks to all of you for all the work that you are doing on the ground in the world towards restorative practices and justice. Good evening, everybody, and welcome. This is Molly Rowan Leach of the Peace Alliance, and I am your host for this free ongoing telecouncil series, Restorative Justice on the Rise. We at the Peace Alliance aim to provide a, a circle, a virtual circle platform for discussion, education, connection, and beyond in the topic of restorative justice and, and all the many uh, flavors um, spectrum of the justice conversation in the United States today and beyond. There's a lot happening in the U.S. to transform and integrate systems, and it's a powerful time to be alive, and it's very exciting to share with you the work of so many individuals and organizations who are doing such profound work to integrate restorative justice within their own communities and within the existing criminal justice systems. A few words about uh, tonight and this platform. If you've never been with us, this is a virtual council, and it's fashioned in such a way so that, that you can interact. Of course, this is a live call, and you can ask questions and make comments throughout tonight. Uh, if you press 1 on your telephone keypad, or on your keypad on Skype, if that's how you've uh, joined us tonight. Pressing 1 on your keypad throughout tonight's call will alert us that you might have a comment or a question, and we really warmly welcome that. So do remember that, and then there will be a couple times where I prompt you again tonight. Tonight's call is an hour, just like every other council is. And you can find the recordings, the audio archives, free of charge, posted at our website, which is dopeace.us, clicking on the Restorative Justice menu tab, gets you to the page that has resources and also the archives from not only this season, but last season. So we welcome you to go, go over there and check that out, including tonight's council. And I am very excited to um, introduce to you who, who we'll be sharing with tonight. Uh, just a few uh, personal notes about my experience with um, Deb Witzel, who is the Executive Director of the Longmont Community Justice Partnership. I met Deb earlier this year and got to meet her in person at the Restorative Justice Colorado RJ Summit, and she was a huge force behind that summit, which featured some great, uh, truly on-the-ground, authentic, collaborative uh, circles with Dominic Barter of Restorative Circles. So we were really experiencing an atmosphere, thanks to Deb and her team, uh, that, that was really a powerful experience because we got to hear some of the, the, the best practices and the things that really are working for people, not only in Colorado, but around the country. So like I said, Deb is the Executive Director of the Longmont Community Justice Partnership, and they've been um, doing what they do for quite some time, and Deb will give us a little bit more of background of LCJP. For more information about them, you can go to lcjp.org. 
they do do quite a bit also with uh, the local police department. And I just wanted to point out to you that a video that they put together features Officer Greg Ruprecht of the Longmont uh, excuse me, the Longmont Police Department here in Colorado. And he's, it's very powerful because he speaks to his utter doubt of restorative justice in the beginning of the video. But then as, as the video goes, he shares the great successes and the transforming of his doubts into great and powerful uh, just belief in, in the um, success that he's seen because of restorative justice practices and because of his partnership with the Longmont Community Justice Partnership organization. So without further ado, Deb, I'm just delighted to have you with us tonight and just a warm welcome. And if you would please start out uh, to just share a bit about what got you into working in, in the field of restorative justice and anything else you'd like to share about your journey. Welcome. Thanks. Thanks so much, Molly. And thanks to the Peace Alliance, too, for having me. I'm so grateful for this opportunity. And... Um, just to follow up on um, Greg Ruprecht's video, uh, you can find that video at rjcolorado.org. That is the um, State Council's uh, website. So check it out. Okay, so you want to hear my story, huh? I came to restorative justice practices, I like to say, by the grace of God, because I didn't really know a whole lot about restorative justice when I met our organization's founder, Beverly Title. And I, um, as many people do when they meet Beverly, totally fell in love with her and said, I am not really clear what you do, but I know I want to work with you. <laughs> so I started to explore what she was up to a little bit and um, found that my values and what I sort of wished for the world was exactly what Beverly was doing in the world. And that was this thing called restorative justice. Um, it just so happened that about four months after I met her and discovered this cool thing, a position opened up at LCJP, and I was blessed with getting a program coordinator position with this organization. Now, probably a few of you are wondering, well, what's your background? What qualified you? And honestly, it was passion. <laughs> that was passion. Um, my uh, bachelor's degree is in dance and theater. I did um, I did improv for about 20 years and managed theater companies and road shows and things like that. And then I got a master's degree in nonprofit management. And it was really my alignment with the values and principles of restorative justice and my love, my passion for seeing this work become the way we do justice in this country. Mm. So that's my story. So when you came to LCJP, uh, can you give us a little bit of the background of how long they'd been in action and, and um, a little bit more about the branches of the work uh, that, that LCJP offers in, in the community there, uh, as well yes. as if, if you do, I know you do trainings too, so mm -hmm. tell yep. us a little bit about the background and what you're up to. Great. So when I came to the organization, it was called Teaching Peace, and um, it was founded in 1994 with Beverly and Lana Leonard really having a vision for um, changing the way people responded in the schools to um, bullying and discipline issues 
and really finding a better way of responding to the students to keep them in school instead of kick them out when they did things wrong. Um, so the first couple of years they were really using storytelling and tools that they developed, a couple of books that they wrote. And uh, in 1996 they discovered restorative justice and knew this was a way to affect change in schools. So that's always been a piece of what Teaching Peace, formerly Teaching Peace, currently LCJP does. And we've really grown our work in schools to a really exciting level. At this point, we have implemented a, pro a pilot program in one of our high schools with a team of 15 very diverse and well-trained student facilitators. And those amazing kids have a coordinator mm. who leads them in facilitating restorative mediation, restorative circles, community building circles that we call connection circles in their school and the two feeder middle schools. So that's a really exciting project that's been funded by a justice assistance grant that is um, on its last year. And then our longstanding program is our community restorative justice program in partnership with the City of Longmont Police Department. And that program has been around since 1996 when Beverly <laughs> brilliantly went to the chief and a few other folks, the municipal courts, one, another nonprofit, and the school district level folks and said, okay, let's do this restorative justice thing. And Chief Butler has been one of the most um, consistent and persistent supporters of restorative justice in our community. We're very fortunate to have his alignment with these values and principles. So that program is the one that I got to um, start my restorative justice career uh, coordinating. And really specifically, that work was um, receiving referrals from the officers. And one of the things that if you watch Greg's video, you'll hear that there was a lot of skepticism. Um, mm -hmm. The police department, although the chief was gung-ho, the officers who were expected to make referrals to restorative justice were really skeptical. So it has taken um, well over a decade to bring the law enforcement um, perspective to align with using restorative justice. Mm -hmm. And we're, we're fortunate because the officers in our town have discretion about referring a case if an offender takes responsibility and a victim is willing to our program. So as a coordinator, that's what we're exploring initially, and then we're really um, bringing the trained facilitators together with the victim and their support person, the offender and their support person, the officer, any community supports we may need, and really forming the circle of people who are going to handle the crime or the conflict. Mm -hmm. So it was really great work for me to begin my career in that way. Now, Deb, you, um, one of the things you just highlighted was, is really important, um, the tie-in between some of the, the real doubt that there is still out there within, mm -hmm. like in this instance, the, the police department, <clears throat> um, and the video that you have up on your website at lcjp.org regarding the youth programs is very powerful, especially you know, we walk through witnessing some of the things that are happening for the kids. And then at the mm -hmm. end, the statistics 
the proof is in the pudding there. Can you speak yeah. to the statistics that, that you illuminate there in that video, especially regard, in regards to the youth programming? Yeah, definitely. So um, in the RJ in Schools, the Restorative Practices in Schools video on our website, um, the I think it was the 2010-11 school year, we had 100 referred students and saved 111 school days. So those kids would have been out of school for those days if we hadn't done restorative justice with them. And you know, the coolest thing, Molly, I think, is that of those kids, 90% did everything that they said they were going to do to make things right for themselves and their school and the people that they harmed. So we not only kept them in school where they're learning and they're engaged, but they got to restore their self-esteem and, and consequently you know, instead of feeling you know, more isolated and ashamed, they made things right. So now they're more engaged. They have an adult in the building that they can go to if things come up. They have peers that they can turn to to talk to about conflict. So yeah, the school's work is astounding in that respect. Would, would you say that, that restorative circles and, and justice practices are also about building relationships? Oh, yes. Absolutely, absolutely. Speak to, speak to that, please. <laughs> yeah. So like I was saying, the kids that come through the program in the schools, um, a lot of them come from a place of feeling really isolated, or feeling like there isn't really anybody in the building who's watching. And so when they come to a restorative justice circle, they suddenly have a really clear sense of being a part of something, of people who care about them, of people who actually want them in the building. So for a lot of them, the very first, this is their very first experience of feeling included in their schools. And also there, there are always an, there's always an adult in the circle, usually a school person. And so when they connect with that adult, when they start to build a relationship with someone in the building that they feel like has got their back at that level, they finally have a place that they can turn. And they're building relationships that if they hadn't had this opportunity, they wouldn't, they wouldn't probably have come to school the next day. And you know, we're also, I love to brag on our police department, but we're also really fortunate to have school resource officers that care about their kids in a way that they want to make a personal connection. They want these kids to know, hey, you have a chance to step up here. And a lot of people call it a second chance, but for, from my perspective, for some kids, it's a first chance. I think a lot of these kids don't even know they could build a relationship with their school resource officer or their principal or their assistant principal or even, even the peers that are facilitating these processes. We've had kids, I'm going to tell you a story. Great. Um, yeah. yeah, here's a story. So last year we had a student who was referred to our program and she had assaulted another student in school. And um, when she was in the process, she so clearly and for the first time understood that her actions were not who she was. And so as a part of her um, agreement that was written between everybody who was in the room, 
she wrote an apology to the person that she had assaulted. She explored the um, impact or the, the anger issue that she had experienced. And she also came to understand what restorative justice was doing in her school. And as a result, she got trained last summer and is now one of our top facilitators on the restorative justice team. She's volunteering and has a group of peers that hold the same values and principles that she does. Mm. She's an incredible kid. It's really, really cool. And that happens you know, every year we have a kid who comes through like that. You, you've hit on a huge um, foundational subject around justice in general, I believe, in um, the dissemination between who we truly are and what our actions are. And mm. I wonder how we, how we can more fully support, um, I know that restorative justice and circles and practices are, are aiming to do this, but how do we help people to understand the benefits of, and that, that it's not excusing what happens, but that we also are not what we do? Mm. That's just a big really, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it really is. And earlier you asked me about training, which is another big piece of what we do at LCJP. And I think, um, you know, one way to do that with some people is through training and um, education and really telling these kinds of stories because there are a lot of people, I think, that will never actually find themselves in a restorative justice process. But telling these kinds of stories, I think, begins to help people understand this is not easy. I love um, the people who think that this is getting off easy. And when I share a story um, that helps them, that illustrates that these, these folks are sitting with the people who have been harmed by their actions. They're, they're not sitting in a safe little courtroom with a table and rules and guidelines or in a DA's office where they're getting an assignment and you know sent to probation or diversion. They're actually sitting with the people they harmed. And that's a difficult thing. I think it's a lot easier to just mm -hmm. get your assignment of 100 hours of community service and go pick up trash and have it all sort of become irrelevant in the long run. But there is nothing irrelevant about a restorative justice process. Every piece of it is specific to what happened. And people have the opportunity to repair the harm of what they did, which simultaneously repairs themselves. And you just cannot get that anywhere else. And so you can train that, but the truth is that unless you sit in a restorative justice process, you don't really know what that transformation, what that change, how that life is saved. Mm. Well, it, it certainly is um, very apparent that people all across this country, and not only that, in the world, are very hungry for this type of process. And one of my uh, typical questions that I ask most of our guests is, for, because I know that there's many people on this call tonight, um, we have a very robust group from all over the place, and many of you already know uh, and are in, in movement with what you're up to in your own communities. In fact, many of you are are doing similar work as what you're doing, Deb. But there are some of us who are still kind of sitting with the living question of, well, how do I get started? And what, mm -hmm. what are the, the key aspects and the specifics of that? 
how do I get started in my own community? It seems, and you know, some people may think it seems impossible to to share this information with um, the, my police department because you know they they would just laugh at me. So, what what would you say to people who are in that in that that space of that they're ready to go? Um, they probably want to know a little bit about funding too. So, mm-hmm. would you speak to those things a little bit, please? Sure, sure. So I guess the first thing that I'm sitting with when I hear you say that is, yay, go team! Um, yeah, because it is, um, I guess I want to say first, it's all of us. And wherever you are, reach out. There are so many, you know, on the rise is exactly right. There are so many people and organizations and communities that are really catching the restorative justice wave. So look for your people wherever you are and do not try to do this alone. You don't have to. So that's the first thing I want to say. Um, The second thing I want to say is it's really important to engage leadership, whether you're in a school or in a town or a city or a court system or a juvenile justice system, wherever you are, it's important to engage the leadership in the conversation. And you know, fortunately, we have a lot of tools now. There are movies out. There are videos on rjcolorado.org. There are videos on lcjp.org. You can use those tools. And um, there are statistics on those websites as well. Use Use that information. Share it with those people. And you know, we're working in the state of Colorado right now to um, further establish the validity of restorative justice practices through research and evaluation. Next year, the state council has made that a priority. And I think that evaluation piece is really important. So when you are talking to people, when you are setting up your programs, be sure that you're building in ways to measure your success and to show people this is working. Um, Some of the ways that we do that at LCJP are we have uh, contract completion tracking. And from completion, we're also tracking recidivism within our community. So a year out, we're looking at reoffense to see if the people who come through our program are reoffending or not. And I'm really proud to say that only 10% are reoffending. And the county average in the criminal justice system is 50%, nationwide it's 70%. So I love to bring that up when I'm talking to newcomers to restorative justice because that is a valuable perspective. When when mm-hmm. talking about people coming back into our communities and reoffending, we know restorative justice is making it a safer community. So that's a really important conversation to have with folks. And then I also think that when you're bringing the community, community along, you want to look to a diverse group of people. So it's easy to just look to the systems folks. If you're doing, if you want to set something up in a system, whether that's a school or criminal justice, etc. But I'd encourage you to look beyond that. Look to your faith community. Look to your youth community. Look to your senior community, because those people will become your facilitators. We rely so heavily on our community to volunteer and be trained and become really the heartbeat of making restorative justice happen in Longmont. Um, We couldn't do this without our volunteers. So those people and connecting them and exciting them and bringing them along, 
is that that's a critical component of implementing a program. Um, funding. <laughs> yeah, I'm laughing a little bit because I I feel like funding really is our movement's greatest challenge. Um, we had a, a huge conversation about funding today at the State Council meeting. Uh, it's a huge conversation at LCJP every day. And you know, we're very fortunate at LCJP that we have a significant uh, percentage of our support coming from the City of Longmont. We contract for services with them, and that is our bread and butter. Additional, additionally, I would say the jam <laughs> is that we have grants. Our local community foundations, um, Denver, Boulder, um, and Longmont have all been incredibly supportive of our work, and Boulder County is a great supporter of our work. And those grants, along with our justice assistance grants, have been great assets to starting programs and promoting programs and um, really keeping them moving forward. Um, and then the piece that LCJP is working right now to really build up is our individual donor base. That group of people who really get restorative justice and want to see this kind of social change in our community and beyond are a growing percentage of our funding source. Um, we were really fortunate a couple of years back that we had a supporter who has a great belief in nonviolent communication and the work of restorative justice practices, particularly in schools and with youth, who gave us a matching grant that we worked our backsides off to, to match. And so we're fortunate in that we have that little nest egg for our work in schools when our justice assistance grant runs out here in about nine months. But mm. that won't sustain us for very long. So right now, and honestly, Molly, all the time, we are doing fundraising. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's a big part of my job now as executive director. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And probably the hardest part of my job, honestly, well, Deb, I just want to pause for a moment here with our council tonight and again welcome you all. We're talking with Deb Witzel of the Longmont Community Justice Partnership that's in Longmont, Colorado. Colorado is one of the nation's, I would say, leading um, states in the, the programming that they, they've implemented and, and LCJP is one of the programs doing some, some very powerful work cross-spectrum within that community. And I know that, again, you offer trainings at LCJP for anyone who's interested. And um, I'd also just like to point people to lcjp.org for resources such as those videos that, that Deb was talking about, and also to RJ Colorado, which is, all, I believe, rjcolorado.org as well, right, Deb? That's right. That's correct. Okay. And so on the note of funding, though, and then let's take a few questions from our, our council tonight, um, I'd like to just uh, ask you to maybe share a bit about the special opportunity to support LCJP um, via uh, your, your hopes to, to continue with the implementation of restorative practices within schools, which you've already reached 22,000 children. Congratulations. Yeah. Thanks. Um, thanks. So just share a few I, words about what, what people, if they're interested in Drawn to help support this uh, campaign, what can they do tonight? So tonight we have a really special thing going on. Our board, uh, so 
in 24 hours, I, <laughs> I said to our board, hey, we have this great opportunity. What do you think about doing a match? And they said, absolutely. We can come up with $500 right now from our pockets. So um, if you go to lcjp.org slash on the rise, you can click tonight on the Donate Now button and double your, do your donation dollars because the board is ready to match whatever is given tonight. And, and I told Molly before the call, um, this is kind of part of who I am, if it goes above 500 tonight, well, within the next 24 hours, that's the game. Within the next 24 hours, $500 is a solid match. And if it goes above $500, I will go out and find whatever it is we mm -hmm. need to match. And I will, I will keep you all posted about that match. So please. Wonderful, Deb. And we, you know, thanks. I just know it's, it's just great to have you here with us, sharing your time with us and your, your great wisdom about what you're doing in Longmont and beyond. And, and just really grateful to have you tonight. And I, I would like to open up the lines because we do have some people with their hands up. Um, okay. Let me see here. Bonnie, welcome. You're live. Uh, I'm here in Colorado as well. Great, Great. Bonnie. And um, the, I, I'm familiar with restorative justice. Um, our uh, governor before he was, uh, not our present governor, our past governor, Bill Ritter, before he was governor, uh, was a DA in uh, the Denver district and was very much uh, involved with restorative justice. So we've had it here in Colorado for a long time. What I do want to ask you that I've never gotten a real image for, and I'm, I'm seeing this question in two parts, present and future. What level of crime can be reached with restorative justice? Uh, to be specific, and again, it would be a different of what a community would accept today as opposed to as a generation or a couple of generations we get used to this way of doing things so in the future. Could it ever reach uh, a situation where murder has been involved? Um, that's a really great question, Bonnie. And I, I have so many levels of a, of a response that I want to take a breath and see where to begin. Um, because this year, for the first time in the state of Colorado, uh, we actually had our first Department of Corrections restorative justice process. And it was a victim-offender dialogue that was facilitated by Lynn Lee and Peggy Evans with an incredible woman um, who is so inspiring. If you ever have the chance to hear Charletta Evans speak about her experience with restorative justice, you want to make that happen. Um, she is so inspiring. But in a nutshell, uh, here's her story. She was the mother of two young sons when her younger son at three years old was shot in a drive-by shooting. And um, 17 years go by, and the devastation that she and her surviving son lived with um, has had a huge impact on their lives. And uh, this year, Charletta, with the facilitation support of Lynn and Peggy, met with her son's uh, murderer, both wow. the, man who, the man who shot her son. And she tells the story far more beautifully than I will here, but the liberation and forgiveness and lifting of so much pain and anger and 
confusion that she and, and her surviving son have, have lived with came out of that restorative conversation that she had with the young man who, who shot her son. So can it happen with people who have committed that level of crime, murder? Yes. I have to say at this moment in time, yes. Now, if your question is can it happen outside of the criminal justice system at this time, the answer is no. Um, maybe someday in the future, I don't, I don't really know the answer to that. Today at the State Council there was a beautiful conversation about the possibilities of adopting the New Zealand model for juvenile justice, which allows a juvenile to do restorative justice first before they're committed to the, the juvenile justice system. So is there a possibility for crime at any level within the juvenile justice system? I think so. I think New Zealand has really shown us that it's possible. And um, at present, I feel like one of the great things, once again, about the Longmont Police Department is it's not about the level of crime in our community as much as it is about the level of responsibility that an offender is willing to take for their actions and about the level of repair and relationship that a victim is willing to come to in allowing a process to be handled or allowing a crime to be handled with a restorative justice process. So in our community we have handled felony cases and we have handled misdemeanor cases. We've handled juvenile cases. We've handled I think our oldest offender at this point was in his 80s. So I think there is so much potential for restorative justice practices in our communities, in our states, and in our country that I'll, I'll just share this quick image with you all. Um, Mike Butler, our, our chief, said at a strategic planning meeting a few years back, I can see the Department of Restorative Justice at the U.S. federal level. Mm. So hold that for a vision, my friends. Mm. Wow. The U.S. That's Department cool. of Restorative Justice. And Bonnie, Bonnie, that's a great question. Thank you so much um, Thank for being you. with us tonight. And uh, Deb, I really appreciate you bringing up the New Zealand model and I was thinking of it too, um, and a thought from, I believe it was Howard Zare, uh, or it might have been from the New Zealand folks, just saying that actually in the more violent cases, um, there is an even greater capacity for possibility of uh, transforming, healing, moving forward together, and um, that, 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 that is hopeful to me. So mm -hmm. thank you for asking that question. I'd like to, to go ahead and, and take another question tonight live here. Um, I'd just like to welcome Matthew. Welcome, Matthew. Hello, hello. Great call, great conversation. Loving it, loving it. Um, and just loving the work that you're doing. Um, in Colorado, it's really inspiring. We, you know, I work with the Peace Alliance as well, and we try to affect policy and, and push for policy that's more oriented around uh, prevention, intervention, you know, restorative models at all levels of violence. And when you were talking about funding, one of the things that I'm always curious about because I love the work of restorative justice and I know that funding around any of these great programs, including these models, are, is always huge. Have you, have you or in the circles that you've been in run into conversations, ideas, existing uh, policy platforms that really look at that at the federal, state, and or local level around how to engage the elected officials around policy, um, you know, maybe even at a federal level, including legislation. Do you know much about that? Do you hear much about people talking about 
what they're looking towards? Um, before um, you answer that, Deb, I just mm-hmm, want to mm-hmm. um, acknowledge Matthew, Matthew Albrecht of the Peace Alliance. Um, he's been the executive director of the Peace Alliance, and Matthew, it's great to have you with us here tonight. And I just want to mm-hmm. honor and acknowledge all the work that you've done over so many years to help um, bring forward the Peace Alliance's work. So I hope I didn't distract you from the question, Deb. But No, it's great. And, and thank you, Matthew, for bringing that question. Um, because once again, today at the State Council, um, we learned that um, our governor, John Hickenlooper, has proposed in the uh, next budget in the next fiscal year about $300,000 for restorative justice at the DOC level. So if that isn't an exciting prospect, I don't know what is. Um, I think that comes out of the legislation that our incredible advocate Pete Lee, uh, House of Representatives in Colorado Springs, and Linda Newell, Senator Linda Newell, um, got passed unanimously in 2011. And that was House Bill 1032, 11-1032, if anybody's wanting to go look that up. And um, that legislation includes um, the DOC, the DAs, victims' rights um, advocates. It, it asks them to inform victims about the opportunity for restorative justice at every level. So one of the things that we see as our larger our statewide restorative justice community is that we need ways to educate, promote, support the DAs and the victims advocates and victims services folks in really understanding what restorative justice is. So we've begun a conversation about how to get that done. And um, I think that we're really fortunate in the state of Colorado to have Pete Lee as an ally because he came to us today and says, all right, what shall we propose and what matters? What does this community need? So, you know, again, I think I said early in the call, Matthew, that um, we, we need to gather our forces, gather our allies, never try to do this alone. And those allies are, I believe at this point in time, they are in our state government. They are in the federal government. And so seeking them out and having these conversations with them is really important. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, and then, you know, OJJDP, that's the Office of Juvenile Justice, forgive me for the DP missing, um, but that's a, that's a major funding opportunity for prevention. And they love successful restorative justice practices. And the mm-hmm. same with the Justice Assistance Grant. That comes from the Bureau of Justice Assistance. So is that a statewide? I'm sorry, is that Colorado? Or is that federal? The, the, the Bureau of Justice Assistance is federal, but the Justice Assistance Grants come through the state level. So, you know, I am ever the optimist. I will just confess that right here and now. (laughs) And I do believe that if we make the case that the money will come, we just need to continue to make the case, toot the horn, wave the banner, whatever metaphor you want to use. Um, Because I do believe... You know, here's another piece that I'll offer up. Um, We did a little math at LCJP, and last year we served uh, 280 offenders between our two programs. And the average cost to incarcerate a person in the state of Colorado for a year is about $30,000. 
So if you do the simple math and say, okay, um, about 10% of those people may end up back in the system, 250 people times $30,000, my friends, that is $75 million that we are keeping, yeah, that we are preventing from being spent by the criminal justice mm -hmm. system. Wow. So think if we even had a percentage, 10% of that, LCJP could double our services. Mm. So, you know, give us a percentage of the, the criminal justice budget, please. <laughs> <laughs> well, th thank you, Matthew, for mm -hmm. asking those important questions. And um, I'd like to go ahead and move on, um, give another person an opportunity here to ask a question. We have lots of hands up tonight. Uh, let's see here. I just want to make sure, Elizabeth, um, you're live. I, I wasn't sure if you were raising your hand or um, I've got you live. Elizabeth, are you there? Is that me? That's you. Welcome. Great. Oh, great. Thanks. Um, and so I'm in on Hawaii. There are very few people here. It's hard to get things organized. Is there anybody who'd be willing to come out here and help us organize a project out here? And is anybody? I would. I would. <laughs> I love Hawaii. <laughs> Great. Please uh, get in touch with me. You have my number. I don't, but I'll get it from Molly after. Okay. Um, that's. It's really important because there's a lot of crime, especially in this particular time, town. I've, um, I myself have been victim to about 70 different um, violent offenders, uh, offenses, and uh, I started working in restorative justice oh, 15 years ago. Uh, we started it in California. Now, um, I, I did want to. Uh, I had a couple other questions, but I'll, I'll have to come back later on them with them. I'm just so happy that thank, we, we yeah, thank you so much, Elizabeth, and, and we'll make sure we get you in touch, okay? And um, wow, she's calling in from Hawaii. That's <laughs> beautiful. Mm -hmm. um, so let's go ahead and, uh, if it's okay with you, I'd love to take one more question tonight, at least one more, um, sure. Deb, because we've got lots, lots of people wanting to, to share. Tonya, welcome. You're live. Hello. Hello, Tonya, welcome. Can you hear me? Uh-huh, we can hear you just fine. Hey, so I'm, I'm a survivor of a violent crime, and actually my father was murdered. And I'm, I write to the parole board, and to um, every, like, six months or two years, and it's been two and a half years now. So I've written to them twice. My question is, is this something that I could propose to the parole board for uh, the murderer is to um, some restorative justice to uh, bring more of a um, more of a, a, a open up a dialogue between the murderer and myself and any other willing parties in the family and um, possibly uh, look into some some healing there and uh, other options other than having him incarcerated. So, Tanya, I want to start by acknowledging the magnitude of who you are by even asking this question. It's such a gift to all of us to have you ask that question on this call. And where are you located? Louisville, Kentucky. In Kentucky. Um, you know, I don't know a lot about um, Kentucky and its relationship to restorative justice practices. Um, and I would be really, really happy to put you in touch with Charletta Evans, um, and maybe even with the amazing women that facilitated her process 
because I think they would be able to guide you through the steps of making those requests. Um, my guess, and really truly a guess, is that it will be a, a process of persistence and patience and um, a lot of education. But again, I am ever the optimist, and I believe that it is possible for you to have restorative justice be a part of your healing process. Thank you, Deb. I'm willing and grateful. Thank you. Mm, yeah, thank you mm, for thank your call. Thank you so much, Tonya. And Tonya, I, I just would like to share with you that you're invited to come back um, in a few weeks. There's going to be a woman who is sharing on this same council named Margot Van Sleutman with the Sabana Project. And she, her father, Theodore, was murdered. And she shares um, her journey uh, and is a is basically doing work within prisons now with the fellow who murdered her father, um, and so I just would like you to to know that that's coming up on December thirteenth, Thursday, at five o'clock Pacific. Um, we'll be talking with her, and she has she she may even, of course, be willing before then if you're interested. I could try and help to connect the two of you. And I also would like to just mention, too, um, you might be interested in the work of Azim Kamisa with the Tariq Kamisa Foundation. And he's, he's been featured on the PBS documentary um, about forgiveness. And his son, Tariq, was murdered in a uh, gang-related incident. And he has moved on to do incredible work in the world with um, the... Uh, grandfather of of uh, Tariq's murderer. So I just wanted to share those little bits with you. And Azim Kamisa was our guest last season on this series, and that archive can be found at the website that I mentioned earlier, which is dopeace.us. So thank you, Tanya. And um, let's stay in touch, and we'll help to get you connected where you need to be, okay? Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Well, we're getting close to the time that we need to be wrapping up tonight, and um, there's just been so many hands up. I do want to take one more brief question uh, from our council tonight, and uh, I know that um, I'm sorry that I'm going to have to pass by a couple of you, but uh, if you'd like to stay in touch, uh, Deb and I were talking about let's continue to have a robust conversation. Um, Deb, you were mentioning that that the uh, Facebook page might be a great place for us to to continue the conversation. Could you say just a few words about the Facebook page, and then we'll we'll um, Tina, we'll we'll take a question from you. Great. So one of the things that came out of the Restorative Justice Summit in August was a Facebook page um, that, <clears throat> excuse me, that all of you are welcome to join. And it's, uh, I'm pretty sure, Restorative Justice Colorado. And it's an open group, so it would be a wonderful place for us all to connect and continue the conversation, um, all of the conversations that have come up tonight. So uh, Facebook, Restorative Justice Colorado, and let's keep this conversation alive. And Molly, the other thing that came to mind was um, rjcolorado.org has a directory. and. Um, mm -hmm. Folks would be more than welcome to um, register or sign up on that directory, and you can give some of your um, background and interests and search for other people on that directory. And as we grow that, obviously the resources deepen. So I mm. encourage everybody to check that out too. And I'm just checking the Facebook page indeed is Restorative Justice Colorado and it's a group. 
So um, you just go to the search tab on the top of the Facebook bar there and um, type in Restorative Justice Colorado and you should be able to find it. But what we'll do also is we'll make sure that we stay in touch with, with you about how to find that, that, that spot. Um, so I'd, I'd just like to, to take another question tonight and then we'll do a, a brief wrap. And um, Tina, I wondered if you still have your question and, and welcome. You're live. Tina, are you there? Okay. Maybe having a little trouble with the connection there. Um, let me see here. Bonnie, I'm going to open up your mic in just a moment. Just hang in there with me, Bonnie. Okay, Bonnie, welcome. Bonnie, you're live. Welcome. It sounds like we're having some uh, technical difficulties with our questions. Um, Bonnie, are you there? Are you back to me again? Yes, Bonnie. Welcome. Oh, I was I was the one that had asked that first question. I was here in Colorado. Oh, excuse me, Bonnie. <laughs> okay, thank you. We've got. Um, I'll I'll go back to Tanya then. And um, excuse me. Let's see here, Tina. I'll try you. Tina, are you back online with us? Okay. Well, I think this is a good moment then to to go ahead and and Deb, I'd just like to again thank you for taking the time with us tonight. And I, I'd like to ask you if you have any closing comments you'd like to share with everyone. And then I'd like to also just again encourage people if you're interested in in um, helping empower the programming uh, within the school systems in the Longmont. Uh, community Justice Partnership Programming, uh, I see it as a way to also empower all of us because of the fact that we, you know, when, when we get a working model going, we also get to share it with each other. And so some closing comments from you, Deb, and also are, are you going to be developing like a template for communities and, and something that people can access at some point? Mm. Um. Thanks, Molly. So um, yeah, lcjp.org on the rise is our matching connection. And um, your question about um, the template, I, I think you're talking about implementation, right? Right, exactly. Yeah. So we are in the process of developing an implementation manual for restorative practices in schools based on what we've learned through our uh, project, our pilot project. We have an outdated implementation manual that we're working on updating for uh, restorative justice in community in the the police department partnership in that community-based program. And then um, I don't know when that one will get completed, but both of those will show up on our website um, when they are completed. So just keep your eyes on lcjp.org, and we're always happy to share resources. Um, the other thing that I did want to share is in January on the 26th and 27th, in Longmont, we are doing our first facilitator training of the year. And you can learn more about that on lcjp.org as well. And it is open to the public. And um, I can't remember what the cost is for that training, but there, there is a cost affiliated with that um, unless you are going to volunteer with our program, which we would love. <laughs> Um, and then I guess the thing that I would want to say in closing is really inspired by Tanya's courage and Bonnie's question and Elizabeth, I mean all of you, Elizabeth, Matthew, all of you. It's such a, a great reminder to me that we are all 
in this together. We are restorative justice on the rise. We are the community that is changing, not a future thing, but a present thing. We are changing justice as it has been known mm. in this country. So when you're feeling alone, reach out and let us reach back. Because together we can make this change. I really do believe that. Whew. Well, it is, it's just been phenomenal to have you with us tonight, Deb. And again, please, if you would like to go and check out the work of LCJP, you can do that at lcjp.org and certainly join up the group conversation at Restorative Justice Colorado at Facebook. And again, supporting the implementation of restorative practices within schools, lcjp.org backslash on the rise. I just want to also mention that next week's guest um, will be with us. Her name is Lynette Parker of Prison Fellowship International and also of Restorative Justice Online, which is a very powerful hub on the web. If, mm. if any of you are not uh, aware of that hub, it's rjonline.org. So Lynette will be joining us next week, Thursday, December 6th at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern. And then the following week, we'll, we'll be talking with Margot Van Sleitman of the Sabana Project. So thank you so much, everyone, for this great council tonight. Thank you, Deb. And we'll be seeing you very soon. Good night, everyone. Thanks, Molly. Bye.